Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. Hello, this is Caroline Carey with my podcast, Soul Purpose. Today I'm in conversation with Lara Valenti. She's a dancer, a creative, a drummer, music maker. Lara has been on an extraordinary journey to reclaim a sense of her own identity through the journey of cancer. And she's here to tell us how she has claimed her own sovereignty, her purpose, a sense of identity that is truly hers and extremely unique, and the challenges that she has had to undertake in order to come to that place. If you would like to be in touch with myself or Lara, please use the contact details below. Enjoy this conversation. Lara Valenti. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful to have you here today on Soul Purpose. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to share about that topic, about that subject. We've known each other for some time now. Our paths have crossed and, uh, you know, quite quite a journey we've been on um, in, in many different ways. So tell me a little bit about you, where you are at the moment and what you're doing with your life. Uh, thank you so much, Caroline, first of all, for having me here. I'm really excited and actually moved and honored to be here with you. As I said, we have been knowing each other since a while now, for sure, more than a decade, I would say, because we danced together probably in the late I don't know 2008 or nine something like that yeah it's been a long journey many years and uh, at the time I was in the UK and now I am in Spain Uh, I just moved uh, in this new house I live close to Granada about an hour away in a village which is at the feet of the Sierra Nevada in the countryside and uh, it has been five years now I am in Spain and I moved here after having spent quite significant time in the Americas, actually, and particularly in South America. And every time that I went back to the UK in those years, I just got more depressed and more depressed. Basically, I couldn't cope with London any longer. 
for a number of reasons, not only the weather, but also I just couldn't um, live in a city anymore. I felt that uh, I I was, you know, about to risk to get sick, basically, again. And as you know, I have been already quite ill when I was younger because I had cancer. So I felt that I needed to embrace a healthier choice and then, you know, a bunch of circumstances and synchronicities led us, me and my partner here in Spain, where we live in a smaller community, which is quite uh, international. Mm, there are a lot of beautiful things and there is also a lot of, you know, interesting and shadowy things about it. Uh, but I'm happy here at the moment. It's that kind of place where if I want to go and drink a coffee with somebody, I don't need to book it when we can advance and I can just go and knock at a friend's house without maybe warning them before or, you know, there is that flow of spontaneity, which I feel it brings uh, that quality in my life that I really need in terms of meeting people and having community events and hanging out with friends in a way that feels it suits more my nature and my nervous system. You know, I had to come out of that very fast paced life in London. Yeah, I get it. I totally understand and can relate to that. So when I very first met you, we were in the dance world. We were exploring probably our purpose and what we, what dance was for us, what our relationship to that was. was. But I remember you um, going through some of those years of cancer to find some healing and yeah could you tell us a little bit about that and what you feel because um, you have survived whereas some people don't and you are here with us which is an incredible gift and you've got things to share with us because of that uh, some knowledge some wisdom I'm sure it has contributed in some way to your purpose in life mm -hmm. Yeah, it is um, always an interesting story to revisit because every time actually I think about it, probably I also gain new insights, you know. And one of the interesting things, it was that uh, when I got cancer, I was, uh, I think I was 33 years old and uh, my mother, she died when she was 34. So one of the first uh um, you know, bells that I started to hear really loud in my head, like, dan, 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 dan. It was like, hmm, I don't think that this is just a coincidence, <laughs> you know? So that uh, uh, diagnosis led me on a path where I felt that I needed to explore many things. And that included also the grief related to losing my mother at a very young age and actually relate to the grief in a way that it was new because as a child, I didn't have that possibility. I was too little. And also because of family, culture and circumstances, I didn't have the possibility to mourn, if I pronounce it well in English, and be in a space where my sadness and rage and despair was uh, supported, held and, and validated. And yeah, I remember that uh, one of the first things I've done, maybe because I was young and a little bit, you know, uh, like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> lighter or perhaps a little bit more, you know, 
enthusiastic about life, life let, let's say, that uh, I went to a tree, I remember, when I got the, the, the diagnosis and uh, I made a prayer and an offering to the tree that was a tree that I visited very often when I was living there. And I prayed so that diagnosis, that situation with cancer could become uh, an adventure. I wanted to embrace it uh, as an adventure. And so I did eventually. And uh, I danced a lot. And those, in fact, were the years when you and I met. And I think we were also together in a couple of ceremonies in those years that were quite uh, uh intense, particularly after I was um, recovering from uh, from the illness. And I think that one of the things that I look at today, it is how big somewhat it was the, let's call it the gap between where I knew in my heart and with every fiber of my being that I wanted to be and where I was. I knew in my heart that I wanted to dedicate my life, you know? And somewhat, I also remember your words, Caroline, and I cannot remember if you ever told me this in person or if I read it in one of your books, I can't, you know, track it down in terms of those details. But I remember you saying, make it a prayer and ask, whatever you call it, the mystery, great spirit, ask to be used. Ask spirit to use you, uh, to use for, you know, for the greater good. And I have been with that prayer for such a long time. And yet there was also so much healing that I had to do, you know, so much trauma, um, so much pain, so much, so many uh, blinded spots and so much grief. And yet I knew in my heart that I wanted to use my life for something, you know, for something good and contribute to the goodness of life. And I also knew that it was a big journey and it wasn't an easy one for me. You know, we're all different. I knew that I had to walk such a long path. And I also knew when I had the diagnosis that that was an opportunity actually to integrate, welcome and embrace as much as transformation and change and goodness as I could so that I could embody in a more coherent and uh, grounded and congruent way some of those understandings or tools that eventually I wanted to share with, with others. So that was part of my prayer as well when I was unwell, to be able to use it, to be able to offer it to be able to inspire others so that it wasn't in vain. And somewhat I knew this since very early age, that my mother's death also was something that it obviously has uh, marked and impacted it all my life, probably the biggest event of my life. And I always knew that I wanted to transform that into something else but it took a long time.
and I'm still exploring. Wow, yeah. It's an amazing story, Lara. And, um, you know, this, yeah, my own fascination is most definitely with the, uh, the, the healing journey that we have to go on ourselves mm. and knowing what that is. And you've very clearly talked about knowing what's some of your traumas and challenges in particular around your mother, but also with the cancer were about and the work that you had to do on yourself. And it, it and it's true. I always do say that, that, you know, we pray to be useful. We pray to have purpose. And part of that purpose is that our soul is deeply connected to our purpose. I believe that it arrives with us at the moment of our birth. It's there, mm -hmm. even conception, that the purpose and the soul are one. They are one. And our job is mm -hmm. to reclaim that through our healing journey. And so mm. you've been on that path. Uh, you've you've faced a lot of your healing that needs to be done and, and clearly come through it to the other side. And what a scary thing that your mother died at such an early age and that you actually, mm -hmm. you know, you were so close. Did you have yeah. conversations with your mother? What was your connection to your mother at that time that you found your own diagnosis? Well, you know, I think that uh, at the time... Um because this was about more 13 years ago, I'm 46 now, uh, there was the internet, but it wasn't like today, you know, um, or at least I wasn't able to use it the same way I use it today. So I remember just buying a bunch of books and, you know, exploring as much as I could, looking for all I could online equally as well. And I think that I must have read actually somewhere, um, that indeed it was quite common within a family system uh, that people, especially uh, parent and child of the same uh, gender, if the parent died of an accident of an illness, it is common that the child could die actually at the same age, sometimes even in similar circumstances. I think that books have been written about, it, you know, and so I didn't know you know, I wanted to live. I knew that. I was like, no, bummer. I'm, I'm too young. I haven't finished here, you know. I haven't done. But yeah, it was very scary. And so on one hand, also, this is where the dance came because dancing and also drumming at the time became such powerful medicines for me to, to be more present, to manage to have a sense of, connection and spaciousness. Um, those were opportunities not to fall into panic, basically, and just to be more, you know, in the flow of trusting life and living one day at the time and trusting the goodness of all the things I was doing to support myself and my health. But yeah, it was scary. I didn't know if I was going to yeah. make it or not, basically. Of course, yeah. of course. You took your uh, this this healing journey, what you needed to do for yourself into creativity. The dance is a very creative pastime. It's something that is very healing. And you you took yourself into that. What other forms of creativity did you embrace? Well, yeah, dancing was definitely the, the biggest one. Dancing, drumming, uh, singing as well. I used to sing along, you know, the music that uh, uh, I loved. And then it was also the sense of having the freedom to um, 
basically to decide how I wanted to live that. So I made an effort not to see myself uh, as a victim. So for instance, I would have uh, chemotherapy. And then if the day after I was well enough, I would go out and ride the bicycle, for example, or uh, I would spend time imagining what the best support team uh, was for me at that time. So I would have somebody, for instance, helping me with uh, reflexology once in a while, you know, just to uh, lessen the side effects, for instance, of chemotherapy. Yeah, one, it was reflexology. Yeah. And the other one, it was psychotherapy. So as soon as I got diagnosed, actually, I remember that that was the first thing I have done. I looked immediately for a therapist. And that became for me also an exciting and big uh, creative adventure because I was excited to explore myself basically and get to know myself better and where I was coming from and explore my inner work and inner world, sorry. And um, that I remember it has been very, very important. And the possibility to have a canvas in terms of um, how to decide what I wanted to do, you know, versus, okay, this is how one is supposed to deal with the diagnosis. You know, I gave myself the time and the space to step back a little bit and really feel what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And that included also taking some time from my family. You know, I took a break and uh, I also wrote them at the same time, a lot of letters. So there was also the creative aspect of writing. Uh, I wrote a lot of letters also to people uh, with whom I felt that there was some unfinished business or maybe I was uh, holding a grudge, you know, just to express myself and clear, clean the air and say things that perhaps uh, hadn't been said before and then make amends as well, as well, you know. So that was an opportunity for me as well to say, you know, I'm sorry. Um, and I remember I wrote a lot of letters to my dad, uh, writing things that uh, were somewhat uh, really unspeakable for me until that time. My dad still tells me that he thought that I was completely bonkers <laughs> when when I was writing those letters, because in some of those letters, I wrote stuff like, hi, dad, uh, I am divorcing you, you know, because I was an only child without a mother. And um, when I had cancer, I really felt that it was important to step back into my role of being a child and not being energetically, at least, or symbolically, somebody who replaced my mom for my dad, because I feel, I felt already, even if I was young, I felt at that time that I did. So writing these letters as well was very healing. And it also gave me a lot of courage, you know, to say, uh, things that maybe I didn't have the gut, you know, to 
to say eventually to somebody on, on, on their face, but it, those things were important and they had to be said. And they were part of that, um, basically that exploration, you know? So I think that the old cancer thing became for me a creative project to experiment what felt uh, right for me and how I wanted to do it. And uh, so from having a support team to also going and walk, I remember I made a couple of excursions under the snow, you know, to explore the relationship with the land, despite that I wasn't feeling super strong physically. You know, I also gave myself some little challenges to an extent. I was obviously young, you know, so I understand that for people it can be different if they're older or weaker, you know. So what do you feel you, you have brought away from that experience with you now? What What is your purpose regards that? How has it informed you? Well, first of all, that uh, that was a reinforcement about uh, uh, dance and movement being possibly, I would say, the most important medicine in my life. I already knew that, but it just reinforced it. But there was also something about the community aspect, uh, thanks to the dancing community. So dancing with other people, being in ceremony, attending, you know, classes, evenings, workshops, you know, I, I danced really as much as I could. And that, it also helped me to um, rewrite a little bit the story of uh, isolation, disconnection and separation, because I felt that I was uh, loved and so warmly, you know, supported and cheered up. And I knew that there were so many people really certainly in the dancing community, caring about me and lifting me up and wanting to know what was going on. And, and I also remember in a couple of situations having some uh, little rituals actually where people were, you know, standing uh, alongside of me and then on my back. And I was doing this symbolic walk because I was about to complete the conventional treatment so I needed to hear about the last results. And then I knew that eventually I had to take a decision. And I still remember working in that hospital with the feeling of having this bunch of dancers, you know, alongside me and, and behind me. Uh, and eventually when in the hospital told me that uh, they wanted to give further conventional treatment, I knew that I was ready to walk out of the hospital because I didn't want to do that. But what was the most important thing for me, it was perhaps a longing already to explore also the archetype of the of the wounded healer. So what was interesting for me, it was having explored a very difficult and challenging situation with the hope that I could somewhat create some alchemy from that material and then support others in life who were eventually facing challenging circumstances. So what happened after that, it is that then I made the step to train professionally. So after I went through this, you know, personal 
uh, crisis also, if you want, and, you know, also dark night of the soul, then I decided to start a professional journey and I trained professionally as a holistic voice therapist. After that, I also decided to to start a new professional journey because my background was very different. I, you know, I studied law and, <laughs> you know, I had another life before. Tell me a bit yeah. about that life because that's interesting. You know, you, you, you've you stepped into this very, very creative journey as part of that uh, experience of the diagnosis of cancer. Uh, but before that, you, you were in a whole other world. Yeah. Well, before that, uh, I was busy also exploring my neuroses and drama. So, you know, I possibly had, you know, all sorts of addictions that I can imagine, <laughs> you know, from alcohol to drugs, you name it, pills and all sorts of things. And I had uh, all sorts of uh, dysfunctional relationships. And I also put myself in quite dangerous situations. In fact, you asked before about my mom. Uh, sometimes I have stronger memories of my mother when I think about um, that part of my life when I've done really crazy things. And I think that it's quite uh, miraculous that nothing happened to me. So I used to imagine that there was my mom really somewhere, you know, either pulling me out of crap situations or wrapping me with some angel wings or in some protection, you know, um, I don't know, I just jumped in the car with, you know, strangers driving at very high speed on the highway, completely high and lost. And sometimes I, I drank myself nearly to, I cannot say to death, but I, you know, I used to pass out a lot with alcohol. And then sometimes I would wake up and I didn't know where I was. And it happened a few times that I literally woke up in the uh, in the street, you know, like in the corner of a street, you know, at three in the morning and nobody was there. So it's like, wow, you know, a lot of stuff could have gone really, really wrong there and it didn't. And then in the meanwhile, I was also a very good student because I was a good girl, because this is how, you know, I've been educated uh, with father. So um, I was a very good student in law. And um, what uh, interested me the most actually was all the aspects related to, you know, uh, social justice and, you know, um, human rights and, you know, all of that, because I couldn't be bored really about law. In fact, I was also uh, deadly bored. And, and when I was deadly bored, uh, beside going to the discotheque and dancing, but uh, I used to read actually a lot of books about theater. They were describing certain practices uh, that were related to opening up the body of the actor. And that was very juicy for me. That was really triggering so much my imagination. I was like, wow, what is this? How am I gonna open up my body? I also had an intuition that the body was the gateway for me because in my early 20s, and it was really an intuition or like a light bulb or something, but I realized that I was dissociated. You know, I started to have these experiences where I started to feel like, oh, I am in the body, but actually I'm not, <laughs> you know, something like that. I just could feel it. And 
I remember trying to describe that to people and people would say like, but no, this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, I can tell you that I feel that I don't feel. I am numb. I just could feel that. And sometimes that feeling was actually also heightened by drugs. So, you know, I remember having also sort of mini paralysis once on my arm and there was nothing in terms of, you know, nothing physiological really happening and having the feeling like, hmm, I think that there is something that's going on. So I just got really curious and fascinated. So when I started to read all these things about theater, I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do after law. I'm going to study theater. That's amazing. (laughs) So you were in a very sort of straight society with the law, but you'd come from also a bit of an edge walker with drugs, alcohol, uh, the, the wild nature that was uh, flowing through you. Um, but there's there's also some something about trying to uh, dissociate in any case, so to sort of separate out from feelings, from embodiment, from mm-hmm. connection to what, what had happened maybe previous to that. And sometimes we know what that is, sometimes we don't. Sometimes there is dysfunction within a family situation. Mm-hmm. Whatever the reasons are, uh, sometimes we are simply born that way. We're simply born that way. And our tendency is to reach for substance, use that in order to escape some of our difficulties. So it's very common for somebody on that soul retrieval path who's who's seeking purpose to go through that very challenging time to reach for substance, to look for something other than Mm-hmm. that ability to feel and then to move on through even more challenges you know to try fitting but even to to come to that dark night of of your own soul mm-hmm. that that terrible terrible fear that you must have experienced and the the trauma just around that you may have started to relive some of what you were trying to hide from previously i can imagine you looking at all of that step by step by step. But I love the bit about you when you talk about your mother was lifting you out of some of these crazy situations that we mentioned earlier, we talking a little bit about your mother and connection that you might have had to her watching over you. I, I wonder, you know, how you feel about that now, whether you see that as part of your soul's journey and that it's all actually connected, mm-hmm. even the craziness. It is, it is. I remember actually, um, I remember you and I um, talking about this perhaps in other circumstances because in this dark uh, night of the soul, you know, that I actually had a couple of times in my life also entering the threshold of uh, menopause, um, you know, I started to have a deeper uh, understanding also of depression and certain mental states and how I felt throughout my, you know, whole life, basically, you know. I remember you and I once discussing um, this uh, difficult topic somewhat also, not only of depression, but sometimes uh, experiencing uh, suicidal thoughts, for example. And I knew that I wouldn't take my life. And yet I have been present, watching, experiencing this many times. And I remember in our conversation, I think we must have explored the topic of this perhaps being linked to the fact that uh, mama was gone. And maybe 
uh, there is a part inside or part of the child that has that uh, uh, pulsion that because she also wants to reach her mama or or be with her mama you know so somewhat in the last couple of years so to speak the conversation also I had with my mother it also included actually a lot of uh, rage you know that I feel it was uh, more uh, suppressed when I was younger because when I was younger I also had to I had to I feel also for survival reasons you know to idealize you know to make it ideal you know this image of the <clears throat> of the mother you know the the perfect mother and I know that she was a good mom you know I have glimpses and and memories and I know that and yeah there was another part that it was also suppressed which it was like the fury of the child you know yelling other mama how did you dare to leave me you know how did you dare to go and leave me so in this relationship with my mom I went through so many different uh uh, stages and then there was also a period of time of silence in the conversation I sort of paused the conversation there was a time when I was having really really intense conversations with her it has been a stronger team having this conversation with my mother but maybe in the last two years I came to a pause perhaps with the idea that if I was pausing that conversation Maybe I was also giving her more space to fully go. You know, I started thinking maybe if I'm constantly grasping her, I don't know, there was part of me that became worried somewhat that I was making her earth bound, you know, and I felt like actually she needs to know that I am okay and that she can go wherever she needs to go even if that is mysterious, you know? So actually this year in June, it was 40 years that she died. And so I felt a bit tearful. Yeah, so uh, I had the opportunity to travel to to the Andes, and um, which I love, it's my favorite place in the world, the Andes in Peru. So. It was only the day after the celebration of the death of her anniversary, I went with a good bunch of people and a friend with whom I have been walking in the Andes since more than eight years. You know, I've done a lot of pilgrimages with him. We went to one of the places that it's really held as sacred, is a sanctuary, is a glacial, is a more than 6,000 meters mountain. It's really a temple in the land and so we went there in pilgrimage I wanted really to honor my mother and celebrate her life and doing it with joy to give thanks for my life but also to really say to her you know I am really fine you don't need to be here and so I had that sense at that point that obviously that she was everywhere because consciousness is everywhere you know so she was in the clouds and in the waters and on the ground and in the colors of the rocks and in the snow. It was like really beautiful and powerful. And this mountain is so powerful. It's a place where people have been going in pilgrimage since, you know, thousands of years. And and it also, that pilgrimage, it also brought me close to death in general. 
you know, it's like this mountain is so fierce that I thought like, well, yeah, actually I could die today, you know, a anything can happen in a place like that. You know, the weather can change very quickly, a foot put on the wrong stone, you know. So this, it has been like closing a little bit of a cycle after a couple of years of uh, really silence and uh, saying that, okay, you know, you're free to go. Beautiful. Wow. That's that's a, an extraordinary tale. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. So what is it now that you bring to others from all of this experience, this journey, the, mm -hmm. the challenges within that and the joys and the celebrations? Mm -hmm. What is it that you now share with, with other mm -hmm. people? Well, uh, because of the chemotherapy, actually, I entered the uh, uh, menopause quite prematurely, so to speak, you know, for, for my age, I know it can happen, but, you know, I'm already post-menopausal at the age of 46. And because that journey, it hasn't been easy at all. In fact, it just cooked me and cooked me and cooked me for probably for nearly four years, I have to say, you know. And in fact, when I was in this pilgrimage in the mountains, I could also feel Actually, the gratitude for that medicine, <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit before the archetype of the edge walker. And I feel that somewhat that, in fact, it is part of my medicine because I walked on this edge sometimes between the light because I'm still alive, uh, but also I walked uh, in very dark places, you know, where it also was very clear to me that there were things from childhood that really needed to be explored more deeply at the somatic level and the nervous system level. The rational mind could not make sense of the amount of discomfort that I was experiencing or still experiencing. I was like, bummer, you know, it's like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> 20 years of therapy and ceremonies and this and that, and I'm still like that. It's impossible, you know? Um, but something was different because uh, it was like, okay, the discomfort was really percolating through the body and it was becoming really more visceral. So it was a paradox. It was the paradox of my body and me being more here. So, oh, actually I could really feel, you know? And so uh, that was a call for me to explore more in depth also some, you know, somatic tools and embodiment tools and stress release tools and study the physiology of the body alongside with all that I've been doing with movement and, and voice. And then <clears throat> I became really passionate about working more with women who are on this threshold of midlife because I was going bonkers so much that I felt like, okay, I need to make sense out of this, you know, of this discomfort and suffering. It was so intense. It was so crazy. So, you know, that I felt like, okay, maybe this is how an initiation works like, you know, again, is another life and death and rebirth process. And if my soul is really, trying to work so hard to be fully incarnated in this lifetime with all that I possibly 
also signed up for at the soul level in this lifetime. It has been a long journey, as I said before. I knew that I made that signature on that, you know, <laughs> soul cosmic uh, piece of paper. I knew it was going to be long for me. I always knew that. And so that became a gift also in terms of practicing patience, which you know, is a word that I basically didn't have on my dictionary. <laughs> so I had to include that word. And then it became about simmering, you know, in this medicine, in this alchemical process, you know, it was like, okay. And the fire of alchemy is brewing me and it's still brewing me and it still sucks and it really sucks. So I had to be really, even when it really sucked, I had to be really, focused on one hand but also surrendered and just let it go and trust that okay there is a greater intelligence at play and I keep trusting my prayers and as somebody said once uh Daniel Four uh who is an ancestral healing practitioner I think I heard him saying once wear your prayers on your sleeves you know and I love that expression so there was something about also trusting the goodness of my intention, despite all the chaos, all the chaos. It was chaotic, you know? So it was, can I go back and trust the goodness of my intention? And that was also sometimes something that felt like such a massive task because all that I was also healing, it was lack of trust in myself and lack of validation. So it was like, wow, there was part of me that really believed that, that I am such a, it's horrible to say, but uh, yeah, part of me really believed that there was not only something wrong about me, but something really ugly and evil and something, you know? So to go back to, to go back to that muscle and strengthen that, the trust, like, Trust, Laura, trust the goodness of your heart, trust the goodness of your intention, trust the goodness of your heart. When it was so hectic and very few things were in place as I wanted to, man, <laughs> it really made me sweat. But I made it also with the strong intention of wanting to walk alongside women in this process of embracing whether the arc of perimenopause and menopause or midlife in general, or, you know, entering the threshold of midlife as an initiation, because I truly believe that it is. And our society not only forgot about it, but also offers us so many twisted rituals, you know, that we need to reclaim healthier maps to navigate this together. Because I think that we are designed to do it together, not alone. Sure. Absolutely. I totally agree with you with that one, Lara. And, um, you know, that this whole journey of, of healing ourselves or of coming to terms, doing the work that we need to do, whether it's therapeutic work or physical healing, uh, sometimes that can be a, a very, very long journey uh, for many of us. And I think we have to be careful with it sometimes as well, because especially if we have an addictive personality, we can always mm. think, oh, there's more work to do. There's more, there's this journey to go on. There's this mm -hmm. part of me that needs further exploration. I need to find out why I behave in this way. And that can become a bigger process sometimes yeah. than it actually needs to be. Because where we, we come to with that then is 
well, can I accept the person mm-hmm. that I am? And acceptance yeah. of ourselves sometimes is actually harder than going on the journey of, of working on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I want to know from you is how do you see yourself now and what do mm-hmm. you accept about your own particular medicine? Mm-hmm. Who are you as a medicine woman accepting now that is your particularly mm-hmm. your path? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it really took it really took time for that. I yeah, I simply feel that I just didn't have the maturity for it, you know. I just really had to be brood and <laughs> and somewhat I feel that the surrender part was very important. In fact, I can even say in a provocative way uh, that maybe we never heal. You know, it's like, it's a paradox. Yes, we heal, but we don't, you know, in terms of certain things that are either so deep or so painful and they're part of our makeup, you know, am I going to ever recover from my mother dying and not having a mother and living in an abusive context? Mm, Yeah, maybe, you know. What I can do for sure, it is like, okay, I can write a different story uh, about it and engage in a different way, in a creative way and relate to it rather than making myself, you know, a poor martyr, which, you know, I know very well that archetype very well. So (laughs) (laughs) very dramatic, very, very, you know, very Italian, very, very (laughs) melodramatic, very melodramatic style. So (laughs) I think that uh, one thing that I feel that I had to accept, um, it was also like uh, uh, accepting somewhat that uh, I am a late bloomer in life, you know, I feel that I am starting now slowly to thrive in a different way. And by that, I mean, sitting more in my backbone and trusting a deeper layer of my own, you know, wisdom and authority. And I just didn't have that when I was younger, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't trusting myself uh, enough, you know, and maybe that was also the challenge of wanting to do transformative work also for other people so it was like okay then you know you're gonna experiment a little bit with yourself and your discomfort and so um, I I accept that um, I didn't know patients for a very long time in in my life I accept that uh, that I had a lot of shame for example around money and uh Wow, I feel even like, oh my God, it feels so scary to say that because, and you may know that maybe from our private conversations, but I had the luck to uh, have money that came through family, you know, uh, legacy. And uh, I struggled for a long time to heal my relationship with money and make enough money with with my work. So I also, you know, had to come to, term that uh, I earned uh, little until now with things that uh, I loved to do and that I had a lot of shame around it, you know, and it was challenging to talk about it. So um, to talk about things that are difficult sometimes, I also feel that it's, uh, yeah, it's helpful. It lifts a little bit the the veil of uh, secrecy, you know, or, or taboos. 
And in terms of my medicine, I feel that that archetype we mentioned before, the, the edge walker, <clears throat> mm -hmm. I feel that I, I resonate with that. And I resonate in general also with the archetype of the wounded healer because of the experiences that, uh, uh, that I had uh, in my life. And uh, yeah, I feel that I am in a good place to offer good work to people in a way that it's uh, it's more solid. I think that I was doing good work also before, but I feel that there is a different kind of base and congruency and juice and groundedness and also self-trust that wasn't uh, in place before. And maybe that is also because the work that I want to do, it is so much related also to trust in one's wisdom that wisdom comes also with maturity and uh, life experiences. And because I love also this archetype of the crone and the woman becoming uh, older with, you know, power and juiciness and authority, authority and wilderness, it was like, well, that's not going to happen when I'm 30, <laughs> you know? So I have to accept that somewhat what is happening, I also call it for, I called it in to an extent. I wanted depth. And uh, yeah, the, the journey of healing maybe isn't so much about healing, but about turning our wounds into uh, into art, into creativity, mm. into, into being of service to others. And mm. that's the path of the wounded healer. We're not healing from our wounds necessarily, but we are finding uh, a way to trans transmute or transform powerful medicine for others. So it's a really interesting yeah. tale that you tell, Lara. Um, thank you so much for sharing mm. that with me. Thank you. And where can people find you if they want to work with you? Thank you. Yeah, I have a website. It's called uh, Elemental Soul Medicine. And uh, I am on Instagram with the same name. I have a Facebook page with the same name. I also have a little group that it's called uh, Midlife Soul Sisters, uh, where we share all things midlife and, you know, very nice. which is very lovely. sweet and safe and intimate. Yeah. Beautiful. That's really lovely. And, and we'll certainly put some of those links in the in the box. Thank you. Underneath this uh, interview. Mm. And, um, so, um, Lara, thank you so much for thank sharing you. your story with us. And thank you. It is a fascinating one for anybody who's experienced cancer or any other of those kind of illnesses and, and difficulties in their lives. The loss of mother, using creativity to overcome some of mm. your own addictions and, and patterns, and but also a complete life change from being in, in law uh, to, to <laughs> dancing and drumming and singing. I mean, there's, what 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 a difference in your life that made. Yeah. Um, and so so there is so much there for you to be able mm. to support others with. You are a woman of many medicine bags. It seems. Thank to me. you. So um, thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. And, thank uh, you. Yeah, I hope your work blossoms as it should. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. 
You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.